There are so many other things that we did all year, starting from the early days of the pandemic of just resetting and having a campaign go on the air that was all about, um, you know, hashtag build thanks. But and it was there was that beginning thing happening where people were making signs to thank frontline workers. Remember, remember that like a million years ago it was only a few months ago. Um, and what I think was important was coaching the team to realize like if what's our role in this otherwise why and when we realized that the reason we wanted to be we wanted to be part of it um versus exploit is because what it really spoke to is the diy culture that is very much about lows and so it really became about um encouraging people as or and positioning ourselves as a fellow as a fellow supporter Today on the Courageous Podcast, we were joined by the Executive Vice President and Chief Brand Officer of Lowe's, Marissa Thalberg. And I was completely giddy for this conversation. She's not just a marketer, she's an innovator. She's won a ton of awards and they were the right awards. I mean, she's been named from Forbes, one of the 50 most influential CMOs in the world. And Business Insider had her as one of 25 most innovative CMOs in the world. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, we got into a lot of different topics, but she just talked about setting up the culture the right way to foster ideas and to allow those to come to her and come to the executive team and try them really and learn for them and and take some risk. And once they got rolling on a couple of those, it fosters more creative creativity and more innovation. So I, I really liked what she had to say there in terms of just building that culture with her team. You know, she's been courageous with her whole career. She's been zigzagging across the country. And what I commend her for is she's been able to hop into different verticals. So one of the things that she's most known for, as far as I'm concerned, was her work at Taco Bell, where she created the Bell Hotel in Palm Springs. Just amazing, amazing creativity, but not just for the sake of creativity, because it made business sense. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping verticals isn't easy, right? But I but I think great marketers can do a great job at it. And she talked a lot about just bravery and the courage it takes from the executive leadership team, too, to take a chance on her um, and bring her from CPG into direct-to-consumer and retail um, and Lowe's and, and home improvement. So, just a lot of really interesting factoids in there about you know how to do that and uh, and how to be successful and, and develop courage with with your stakeholders as well. You would think that a retailer would uh, not be sitting pretty during a pandemic, but Lowe's is just the opposite, and and a big part of that is because of the work that Marissa and her team are doing there. Hopefully, you'll enjoy the episode. Here we go now. We are joined today by the Executive Vice President and Chief Brand Officer of Lowe's, Marissa Thalberg. And I'm completely giddy for this conversation. You are uh, an innovator. You're an absolute pro who's won panoply of awards. Um, not, and like not just awards for the sake of awards, like the right type of awards. And we, we noticed that and appreciate that. Um, you know, from our lens, we, we do see you as clearly courageous. Uh, 
Forbes, one of one of 50 most influential CMOs in the world. Business Insider, one of 25 most innovative CMOs in the world. Thank I can you. see like you <laughs> loving this. You're loving the open. Start with like, do you do you feel like you're a courageous leader? Um Sometimes I feel more like I'm a courageous leader than I'm necessarily a courageous person, which feels like a strange thing to say as it's coming out of my mouth. Like, how could how could those not go hand in hand? But somehow that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe a good way to start then is if you had to use three words to describe you, what three words would you use? Passionate, warm, and driven. Pretty clear there. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's always hard to do these little like three word things. I'm terrible at them. I'm also bad at name your favorite movie. So I hope we're not doing that. Because that I don't know, I always have a lot of different dimensions. And I feel like there are a lot of different things that turn me on and make me interested. So the three word thing's hard, right? Like, aren't we all so much more than it's hard, so hard to reduce down? <laughs> It is, it, you know, in irony, ironically, like that's what's asked a lot of our businesses, like how do you reduce it down? And oh, to, yes. use one, to, to use one of your words, um, passionate, like what about the business that you're in? Are you passionate about? I have always been passionate about, I think, this intersection that um, marketers at, at our best get to sit in the midst of, which is this intersection of uh, psychology, business, and culture. And I think that's why I've gravitated to bigger brands because they get to play in a, it's sort of that bigger sandbox of all of those things, particularly the culture part. And then the stakes of the business part are even higher, of course, especially large public companies with tremendous expectations around them. So, you know, everything has its trade-offs. Um, big businesses are also really complex, but to really be able to take a brand that has certain latent meanings, some good, maybe some not as good, and just bring out the best in them is something that I think more and more as my career progresses uh, is what I realize is sort of my greatest love of this business. But then, you know, that can sound a little soft and beneath that is, a, you know, a deep desire to win, but to win creatively for me is kind of the thrill. I think I thrill most to finding creative ways to solve problems um, and to just delight people in the process because, you know, marketing isn't inherently delightful. Advertising is sort of the cost of entertainment in many ways. And at least historically, that's, that's how it's been, right? But of course, and we don't have to spend enormous time talking about how that's all disruptive because we all know that. But I think the, the, the key implication is you can cut through all that and still find ways to make people smile and feel something you're, you're doing part of the job, certainly. Um, maybe one of the harder parts of the job. Yeah. And you've had some pretty big swings in, in your career and done some, some awesome things. And I, and I love the definition and the intersection business psychology and culture because culture is being relevant. And I, I heard you talk about this with Gary V a little bit. And I'm curious, 
two things here. How do you find balance between all three, especially in organizations that are driven by Wall Street and, you know, have financial economic duties? But really, more so, how do you convince your other constituents on the culture and psychology piece, you know, when they're looking at spreadsheets and numbers and and trying to get the business to perform? Well, I don't think there's any real convincing on the psychology part because psychology is, is, you know, intrinsic to business, whether we name it that as such, right? I mean, psychology is, is, you know, the gameplay of what we do, you know, you pick, pick a game metaphor chess, right? Like, I mean, it's how you move the chess pieces around the board is there is a psychology to sort of understanding, um, how that game is being played in a sense, that's what we all do in business. Forget marketing for a second is to assess the landscape, to take all these factors into account. And that's strategy, right? So I do believe a big part of marketing is strategy, but then the psychology, and I think it ties to, I think getting into the minds and and hearts of consumers and trying to really, really intuit certain things that allow you to connect in the ways that are going to mean the most. And that in turn drives a business impact. So I hope that there aren't too many people who need a lot of convincing on the importance of like the, you know, the, the psychology to make the business plays sharper, if you will. The culture part maybe requires a little bit, um, a little bit more of an understanding. And it's frankly, I don't think it's incumbent upon every single business, depending upon type of product, category, service, et cetera, to be, uh, to have that be the sort of third leg of the stool in the same way as others. But I think that's the part that attracts me to um, the opportunity to work on brands that already have a role in, in culture, if you will, when you think of culture in a very big way, when you think of culture as, as sort of how we behave and and entertain ourselves and tent poles of culture. And, and so where does, you know, food, for example, Taco Bell is part of culture. So for me, that meant I was working with a brand that's part of culture, um, not just Taco Bell, but kind of food is being part of culture. And I think retail and shopping, again, huge part of culture. And then now, of course, with Lowe's, um, the idea of home in this crazy year that we just said goodbye to of 2020, home became more prominent part it was always a huge part of our lives, but I think it wasn't something we thought so consciously about. Um, but the role of home to our lives just became so much more, uh, you know, uh, on a pedestal, if you will. And so that became both an interesting opportunity and frankly, also a bit of a responsibility to handle that with the right kind of sensitivity um, relevance, not exploit it, but really kind of be present for and, and and connect differently with consumers at this time where we've all literally been spending more time in our homes, thinking about our homes, asking things of our homes than we ever perhaps have in the past. Yeah, it's hard when you don't get to leave, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, you've crossed several industries now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know like the QSR industry, you, you get so myopic and so focused in like a category. I spent time in casino gaming and it's like, it's the four, the four walls that you, and the only thing that you talk about, right? And so I think it's really interesting when you come 
out of like an agency ad advertising background, you have experience on a whole bunch of different clients and brands, and you have jumped from completely different industries. And you talked a little bit, um, I think it was maybe in a Forbes interview just about bravery, not only in being able to do that, but also in the leaders that you've worked with and seeing and taking a risk on you moving from another category into a new category. What, what fears were running around in your head, you know, as you, you come into a new category and what also gets you excited about coming into a new category? Well, I love the stimulation and the new challenge that that represents. And I really do believe in the power of lateral thinking and the magic that can happen when you can take someone like me who comes in knowing very little about this industry, uh, marrying that with people who have you know, all this longevity and therefore institutional knowledge, but maybe not therefore a broader perspective or, or different ways of getting inspired, you sort of wind up knowing what you know. Um, so, you, you know, I think the, for me, the whole key has been to come in with a real hunger to learn and a humility of all the things that I don't know. And frankly, even almost a year later now, still don't know. But um, fortunately, I'm in a position where I can rely on a lot of other people who know those things and can teach me or also take care of them. But then conversely, you know, having confidence that I'm here for a reason, which is just to not do things exactly the same way they've been done and not just to do them differently for the sake of doing them differently. That's really, really important too. And I've, I've tried to really get um, very reflective and teach teams to be reflective about how to really honor the things that are conventions of how things are done when they deserve, when there are conventions for a really good reason and deserve to be protected and preserved. Otherwise you might break something, but then in turn recognize where it's time to defy those conventions because they're just so conventional that they're not really adding anything. Um, importantly, the business. And so to me, that's a real responsibility any leader has. But when you come in new, you have a little bit more just by, by nature of who you are and coming from the outside, a different level of permission to bring that kind of thinking. I mean, I think it's a marketer's dream, frankly, because you can acknowledge that you're, you're, you're bringing in something from other categories. Yeah. And you're, you're meshing it into this cocktail of, of institutional knowledge. But I, I want to go, first of all, what's it like to buy a house right now? Because you've been zigzagging across the country. You're working for Lowe's. Yeah. And now, when did you make the move full-time to here in Charlotte? We moved in August. So I spent the first several months of my tenure at Lowe's. I was meant to be commuting across the country back and forth um, until my younger daughter finished the spring, you know, finished eighth grade and, and, that, of course, quickly came to an end, which was a relief in the sense of not having to travel back and forth across the country, but in every other respect, totally shocking for all of us, of course. And then a, a very different kind of leadership challenge. How do, you do, how do I do this all remotely? Uh, you know, literally, like connect with the team, assess a team, make changes, figure things out, and not just my own team, but of course, the 
you know, the larger organization with, with whom I had to build relationships. So um, I, I think, you know, for me, that was just about saying, this is just another leadership challenge and sort of psych myself up for, for tackling it that way. Um, we moved in August. I don't recommend relocating a family in the midst of a global pandemic because it's hard. I mean, it's just hard to immerse um, either in school or in the community and build friendships with the same, you know, the same natural ways that would happen in a non-pandemic kind of time. Um, but nonetheless, here we are. And if nothing else, I think we're all learning lessons in, you know, adaptability and resilience and, and, and focusing on what's good, you know, and every time I you know, start to feel a little like bummed out by the world we're living in, I, I really do. I'm not just saying this to be cliche. I mean, I just really do quickly move into a mode of feeling so grateful for everything that we do have right now. And hopefully Knockwood staying healthy, my family staying healthy. And, and it has been amazing spending more time together, but raising teenagers in the midst of this, I think is, it's particularly poignant um, because we all remember high school and college and I have one of each and, and they're, they're not having, they can't get this back and, and it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I'm curious to hear, like you said, it's cliche a little bit, but trying to stay positive, optimistic mm-hmm. about the, the, this reality. And and here you are working for Lowe's, moving into a new house. So I'm sure yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. I get to do, I get to play focus group a little bit. Was there like any big learnings that you took from the, from your own experience that you brought to the brand? No, not really, um, because we... Um, I mean, we didn't buy a fixer upper and, and we've done, we've been doing some construction on the outside of our house. Um, for example, we, we didn't have a garage, the house we built and we felt it was important. So we're building that now. And so of course, you know, you get a little bit of a lens that way, but, you know, listen, home ownership's been, um, it, one economist told us that that was in, in some ways, maybe one of the surprises of of the pandemic is, you know, residential home sales have been extremely strong through this, even in that very sharp V-shaped recession we had March, April. Um, Commercial real estate, a little bit of different story, which makes sense. Here we are are all talking to each other from our respective homes. But, you know, people, I I think the bigger implication is just the changing um, requirements and expectations of home whether you're in your own home and trying to adapt and improve it or whether people are migrating, whether it's out of cities. And listen, I'm a lifelong New Yorker and still invested in New York literally and and metaphorically and and expect New York and other big cities to continue to, you know, so this this is not going to be, I I think the future that cities are are in a downturn, But, but for now, I mean, we're seeing some significant changes and people migrating out of cities and, what that means in terms of people wanting more space and looking for it. I mean, it makes sense, right? As this is such a protracted period. Uh, I mean, just think of all of us so naively this time last year, thinking 2020 and not knowing what was just, just a little ahead on the road. It's pretty wild. It is. And I, I think it's just hopefully recentered a lot of people and I, what, what has it been like? I mean, you talked a little bit about onboarding digitally and, uh, you know, in a massive organization and, and being new, 
it's so much easier to build relationships in person. And, and when you're trying to meet so many people in a large organization, you know, obviously doing it in the hallways or in meetings is, is a much easier way to, to get connected. So how are you doing that today? And, and how are you helping people build trust in your vision for Lowe's and, and where you want to take the brand? Well, it doesn't happen instantly. You know, you want it to, but it just doesn't. It takes time and building trust and building relationships. So, of course, I think that, um, you know, not being able to do that in person just makes it a little harder and perhaps a little slower. Mm-hmm. But um, I think as I've gotten older and a little wiser, I hope, um, you know, when you're younger, and perhaps especially as a woman, I don't know, that sense of having to, you know, play a part a little bit mm-hmm. as a professional, um, there, there's a certain necessity to it, frankly. And, and hopefully you're still being true to yourself, but you are, you know, you know, you're trying to play the part of a young executive. And the, the older I've gotten, I think the more um, comfortable I felt being authentically myself and not trying to project perfection and not trying to, you know, be just this carbon copy of, of what someone thinks an executive in the C-suite is like. And, um, and I think the interesting payoff of that is it actually does really build trust because people understand who you really are and it's real. And they, they um, can feel, I think, you know, it used to be, I think the archetype of leadership was you're very emotionally remote. You know, it was like who you are outside of work was like completely off limits. And I, I think if anything, one of the, one of the interesting, see, this is the psychology and culture part coming in. Yeah. One of the interesting manifestations of this Zoom world in which we're living is we're all actually seeing these, you know, kind of previously seen as intimate snippets of home lives, you know, Um, whether it's a room in your home, whether it's a dog barking, whether it's a baby walking in, a spouse, whatever. And and that's really intimate. And um, I actually think that humanizing aspect in some ways brings us closer even as the whole digital thing and the desire to really read everyone's eye contact and is, is diminished by, by being in this very 2D kind of world. So it's just recognizing that there are ways to actually create more humanity and more intimacy, even if some others are lost, that I think has been an important re- realization for many of us. And then to over... Uh, overcompensate in certain ways. So for example, I don't know that I would have held a department meeting more than once a month. Um, But being new and having this situation, I started doing it once a week. And I know as a matter of fact that many, many people had never had that level of communication before from their, you know, their, their chief. And suddenly I'm being real, I'm being honest. I mean, when when the George Floyd situation happened, even though I had hundreds of people on the phone, talked about it in a really raw way. Um, I've tried to find moments of surprise and delight just because this is tedious month after month for people. And then just, you know, you do the best you can. And then of course, uh, hope that your own leaders are taking that and projecting that and doing that as, you know, gets to smaller groups lower down. 
Thank you. I, I want to go back to something that you were saying in, in that explanation about the two yous. I'm using Berman's language here. <laughs> but, the, you know, we talk a lot about the, the personal and professional you and, and when you can get those to align and you're working on something that you believe in, you're going to do your best work. And I believe that's becoming much more prominent in corporate America. And I'm just curious in, in your progression, was it a confidence thing that needed to build over time? Was there something that happened in your career where you're just like, I, I don't have to put on this facade anymore? Because I think a lot of people coming into leadership and management roles struggle with imposter syndrome. They, uh, you know, from what we've heard are, you know, nervous and, and fearful and, and battling those fears internally, but never show that outward and, and think that there needs to be an image of themselves. So I'm just curious if you could just share a little bit more about, you know, your path and, and when you just start to realize, I, I don't need to be somebody else. I, I am who I am. And that's why people want me to come help their organization. Yeah. And I don't want to paint a phony picture that I was this sort of, you know, some completely different persona and that mm -hmm. blossomed into this version of myself. That's not true. Yeah. I think I've always been, you know, been me. And I, and I suspect that people thought I was very confident early in my career, but for me, it, it's hard to discern the difference between confidence and passion. I think I just, when I get into it, I get really into it. And, um, and I'm, you know, I guess I have been, you know, really not afraid to speak up and to jump in and ask for more. And, and so all that, that genuine energy and spirit and desire translates, I think, to confidence. And I do think I came with that at a young age. However, um, you know, it does take I, growing into your own skin more as an adult, but also as a leader and maturing and learning and, you know, have stumbling and having some hard knocks, which trust me, I have had many. This has not been a straight line at all. And, um, and I've, you know, I've looked at many other people over the years and thought, wow, how did they just go like this? And I feel like I've zigzagged and did I not do this right? And so it's all now in the rear view mirror that it seems like it made sense. But in those moments of feeling like I fell on my face or made a bad choice or struggled, does, doesn't feel like that, of course. So, but you know, now you look back, that's why I said with time and experience and say, all of that was part of what shaped my personal clay. And now I can look back and say, all right, you know, it was hard, but it made me stronger. It did really did make me stronger. And it made me more empathic. Um, and I, I, you know, have to say, I've probably learned more lessons about what kind of leader I don't want to be from having experienced some really terrible leaders in my life than necessarily having had the good fortune to only be blessed with amazing inspirational leaders and mentors. But so, you, you know, what can you do except to try to ride through those experiences and, and you can either let those damage you or you can let them strengthen your resolve to not pick up those bad traits and practice them when you're in that position of power and authority. Yeah, there seems to be a theme on this show that we really, remember. That's oh, yeah. A lot. yeah, you yeah. remember the, the you remember the one 
that just inspired you that made you want to go harder and work and then you you sadly remember the other one you know the one that you're like okay i'm making a note to never be like this person when it, if i ever get that opportunity to lead and i still think it comes down it's funny i wonder if the if you audit passion right the passion level for both because when i'm inspired I, like obviously what a surprise like we're really passionate about the concept of courage and when your company is called courageous it also tells you who we're not for i don't want to waste any time putting our brand out there working with we have to convince somebody that the courageous idea matters and it's just a drain it's an energy drain let's let's talk a little bit about your title and i don't mean the evp part but i love that you chose chief brand officer well it's chief brand and marketing officer is actually okay. my title so yeah. great i was about to talk about how about preparations yeah. important then i blow your title way to go no no you. it's okay um, I, just if you want to talk about title, I, and I've, I've been asked this recently for some reason, but um, I think there's inconsistency in our industry with what these titles even mean. So it's somewhat silly, but there was some real um, deliberate uh, r- rationale around both those parts being in my title. On the brand side, tell me, tell me what you're thinking there, because for a while I wondered you know, I don't want to vilify any brand, but like brand list comes out for a while and it's like, oh, they're, are they trying to devalue brand? But I, I think brand is really the essence of, of what we've got from a trust standpoint, but what's your, what's your take and, and why did you, why did that lead your title? Well, I mean, the funny thing about brand list to me is it was a brand. Yeah, exactly. brand list. So exactly. <laughs> By not being a brand, it was sort of making a statement about it being a brand. So that that we could that gets a little meta. But uh, listen, I think that um, moving into big box retail, it is culturally different than many of the other companies and, and brands for which I've worked. In that brand ha- and marketing have not been sort of the the center of the energy and the accountability in the organization. Retail is, you know, the, the big engines are, are typically merchandising and stores. And my view is just to make sure that marketing and, and sort of the representation of the consumer is, it, it's not to elbow that change, but rather to say, let's just make sure this has its proper seat at the table because we're all ultimately in it to service customers. Um, and I think it was in the wisdom of, um, Marvin Ellison, my, our CEO, my boss, who, when we were talking about this, recognized that brand hadn't, you know, had real prominence and it was important, like it was important to care about the Lowe's brand and all that that means, um, but that the way the company had classically seen marketing or most companies classically seen marketing is how do you sell the stuff, if you will? How do you drive the business that um, I I like having actually now both of those in my title because I think it represents an accountability for both, not one or the other. And if that's what it means in at least my company or industry, or if that what it means for some other people, personally, it's just a title. So had my title just been chief brand officer, chief marketing officer, it would not at all have changed how I approached the job. The role would have been exactly the same. But insofar as the symbolism of it and what it was meant to connote within our internal organization, I think it did send an important message and has sent an important message. 
Well, it's clearly worked. I mean, it's at age, I think they put Lowe's on the podium for marketer of the year. That's pretty cool. So First- exciting. First time Lowe's has ever been on that list. And to have it happen so soon in my tenure is really thrilling. Yeah. yeah no, no high bar or anything for the future. No, but- not at all. No pressure. <laughs> Even the fact that you're, you guys are a retailer, right? And like yeah. and so much in that space, I think you're the only retailer ranked. So like we talk a little bit about, I mean, you hit the ground running and uh, you, you've, you've inherited a team. And I think the word inherited gets bad. I don't mean it in that way, you, but no, you've it's done true. this it's with, true. This, with yeah. this team. So like, what do you think contributed to you guys like getting noticed and, and talked about and ultimately on the podium? Well, I do think it was the confluence of, um, you know, coming in and having a vision and and just having so much opportunity that was there um, and just being given such a, you know, such a tremendous amount of, of empowerment to come in and really do that, but not saying it was easy or smooth sailing because you have to obviously bring the rest of the organization along. And and as I said, learn as I'm trying to do these, you know, make these changes. But of course, the thing that, that, you know, could have really hindered us or we could have rolled with it and used it to create a real moment of inflection for the brand as well as the business was of course, you know, the onslaught of this pandemic. And I do think that put um, anyone in the business of home under the microscope in a different way. And I'm just, for me, it was like, it's not like so consciously you thought about it. I, in the early days of the pandemic, all that was clear was business as usual had to stop, right? So you're making highly instinctive decisions because they have to be so fast. And then a week later, it changed and a week later. And, you know, that's now elongated a little bit. But in those early days of March and April, it was like seat of the pants. I've been there for a hot second. (laughs) And but those those instinctive decisions proved to be good ones. And I think that it actually accelerated my impact in the organization um, and actually did accelerate some confidence building, certainly on the brand side, how that would now, you know, as things get back into like business mode, what it would mean for doing the brand side and the business side. And I hate the idea that we're talking about them as two separate things. Um, I think, you know, that took a little bit longer and, and, and some experimentation and, and not every move you make should be uh, crazy, bold, and courageous because then you're just not being a balanced leader, frankly. Mm-hmm. So figuring out how to just make sense of all this. I mean, there was a lot of just figuring out what was missing, what was needed while you're making these changes. So I do think that um, the recognition is because uh, we, we made some really, we did some really good work together as a team this year. And it is incredible to think with, you know, largely ex- leveraging existing talent, um, though I've brought in, a, you know, predominantly a new leadership team over the past few months. Um, but also because people, we had a chance to get people's attention differently. And we use that, I think, responsibly. I think a lot of CMOs in the position, you know, you, you could think of, well, the first 180 days, I'm going to just sit and listen and learn, but yeah. you really, you couldn't, I mean, yeah. that those days are gone. Right. I mean, yeah. um, you guys showed up in such unique ways in 20 
you know, curbside trick or treating. I think you donated a million dollars, 13,000 trees with the NFL. Am I getting that right? Million dollars worth of trees, trees. artificial pre lit trees. And then, yeah, yeah. New York we Fashion Week. Donated, yeah, New York Fashion Week was definitely a, a signature moment for us. That was probably our boldest or most unexpected move all year. Yeah. And again, t- of those three, is there one that, I mean, they're all, you could see why you've been noticed. And, and But is there one that sort of sticks out for you as just a love affair for you? Well, and, you know, fortunately, it's not just those three. There are so many other things that we did all year, starting from the early days of the pandemic, of just resetting and having a campaign go on the air that was all about, um, you know, hashtag build thanks. But, and it was, there was that beginning thing happening where people were making signs to thank frontline workers. Remember, remember that like a million years ago, it was only a few months ago. Um, And what I think was important was coaching the team to realize like, if what's our role in this, otherwise why? And when we realized that the reason we wanted to be, we wanted to be part of it um, versus exploit is because what it really spoke to is the DIY culture that is very much about Lowe's. And so it really became about um, encouraging people as, or, and positioning ourselves as a fellow, as a fellow supporter and a fellow member of the community and tapping the DIY spirit and showing people how they could use things from home. So we weren't trying to say, now go shop and buy all these materials to make a sign at Lowe's. Um, It was more just a celebration of the DIY spirit to DIY a thanks. And that uh, was just meant to be, frankly, just a a little step, but people noticed it. So it was like, "Uh uh-huh, we're onto something. Suddenly we're getting all different levels of engagement in social media and pick up. And it was just, as I said, sort of just like a first step. And so finding ways to um, to use our platforms for different kinds of storytelling, I think is something that we really wound up establishing very, very early on, all the way to Mother's Day, which is a big, you know, can be a big retail holiday, not as big as Father's Day and home improvement, but making it about, you know, spring is our big season. So we had to figure out how to, you know, compete effectively in spring in these very unique circumstances. And it became about talking about safety in different ways. And with spring, I mean, I think when you're in a position to do well, it really becomes that much more important to show how you give back. And so our team came up with this really lovely initiative called Plants with Purpose, where it was like just a win-win-win in that we we took, you know, we supported Uber drivers who weren't working. And we paid for, um, we got a huge donation from our, our local nurseries who also needed support and or, or purchased from them these beautiful flowering plants and then had them delivered to senior living facilities where the residents had, you know, really couldn't see their loved ones because of you know, lockdown conditions. And so to do that feel good moment and to see the kind of earned media that that generated, it's not advertising. Um, but then also be able to go into big retail holidays like July 4th and find the right lane to still tell a product story, but do it differently. Um, all of that, frankly, is what I'm, I'm proud of. But, you know, when you look at a moment like New York Fashion Week, so different, and it definitely rattled some cages internally, as you can imagine, because it was hard to understand it in terms of what 
you know, what people are used to, but it was strategic for me. That's the important thing. I don't think it's to tap the name of your company in the podcast. I don't think just being courageous for the sake of courage is, is, is the goal in business. I think it's finding the moments where when you're being courageous for a purpose and where, where it's really tied to accomplishing an objective in a way that you couldn't accomplish as well otherwise, that's where it's worth it. That's when you know, no, this is one I'm going to go for because you can't, it's exhausting and you exhaust your colleagues if every move has that level of sort of bravado and stretching people beyond their comfort zone all the time. So for me, that's actually one of the most uh sort of challenging dances in business is finding the, when do you really kind of push? When do you go for it? And when do you acquiesce a little or play a little bit more by the rules? And, and that's when I think you start to find your way. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, courage is necessarily always taking like the big swing, right? We, we define right, it as right. knowledge plus faith plus action. You mm-hmm. need all three of those. If you only yeah. have two, it's not really yeah. being courageous. And I think one of the themes that I, that I've been able to dig up from your career is staying relevant and staying at the forefront of culture and, you know, finding those ideas um, that will really amplify the brand or, give it some purpose and some meaning. Um, and I'm wondering just how do you stay at the forefront of that? I mean, they're in the digital space, there's so much going on all the time and, you know, Taco Bell was irreverent and fun and, and, uh, you created, you know, the bell out in the oasis of Palm Springs. And we'd love to hear a little bit about that idea, but Amazing. definitely a crowning moment. Amazing. <laughs> So maybe you can just tell us like how, how you got get, get to a big idea like that, how you convince, you know, other stakeholders in the organization, but, but even more so like at the forefront of that, how do you, how do you get the inputs? What are the inputs for relevancy? Yeah. I think what you're actually asking ties to, it's a, really a question about um, leadership when you get, um, to a position of one. And um, I'll be honest, I love being the one that has the big ideas. Of course, it gives me happy, <laughs> happy goosebumps to be like, oh, that was my idea. But you have to really feel that the, that it is an equal, perhaps even better thrill that you've now, you are leading um, and creating a culture where people are not afraid to bring ideas to the table. And then when they see those ideas manifest, it's incredibly thrilling for them, but also really, really suggests an environment where ideas can come from different places. And it just, at once people are sort of marching to the drum and they get it. So um, several of the things that we talked about, I mean, uh, just go back to what we just discussed with Lowe's. I can tell you that New York Fashion Week was my idea. I can also tell you that curbside trick-or-treat was not. And I'm equally proud of both of them. And I'm proud of the fact that now I have an organization that's starting to hum that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's, that's, it's, this is a team sport, certainly in big business. So 
the idea that I'd be the only one to come up with those ideas would be crazy or necessarily all those little nuggets, but it's just starting to, like I said, sort of inculcate this culture and behavior. And I don't think that was terribly present before um, that we actually, you know, you thought of ourselves as a retailer, not a brand and culture. Um, and it, it takes, I think, a little bit of, um, uh, you know, a little bit of judgment, if nothing else, about where, when, and how to find those intersections. And some of them are, are logical and some of them might feel a little illogical, but that's why it's so important that you do the hard work first. Like you don't walk into a job like this and just start saying, oh, I want to do New York Fashion Week. It's not how it works. You have to get the fundamentals right. You know, I mean, my job one was really assessing the, the business, you know, figuring out where the, you know, the gaps were from a strategy standpoint, brand positioning, marketing framework, like all the stuff that doesn't sound sexy. That is so critical because if you don't give those, if you don't give people those guardrails and, and the sense of like, we are all looking at the same North Star and we know what we're getting for. And even more so, we generally know the ways in which like who we want to be or how we want to go for those things, then it's just, it's so untethered. And just, you know, how do you ever, how do you pick? How do you pick ideas? How do you filter them? And that's the other risk is you don't want to have just a culture. It's all about ideas and anything, you know, goes because um, it may be, you may have moments, but are they building to anything? And so I feel absolutely passionately about the fact that, you know, you have to get those fundamentals right and you have to get people understanding them to then be able to take some creative risks because even if no one else understands on the outside, that's fine. You know what the purpose was and the goal is and how it fits with all the other things to get you to where you want to go. I love that. And it's, it's crazy to me how many brands actually don't know themselves that well and can't communicate that across the organization. Mm-hmm. And I love the moments building to a higher purpose. I think, you know, at the core, it's really about an ultimate purpose or a vision. But like you said, you have to have guardrails to get there and understand why we're doing that. And what it really comes back to, I think the filters are somewhat based in values of the organization or the brand and the people working in the brand. And so my question is just they're also sorry, Ryan, but they're also the business objectives too. Of course, I mean, I of course. Really want to get back to that because this is about being, you know, a competitive business person. I just hate somehow the implication of the sort of fun and fluff of brand and marketing, where it, it's so cr- critical that people understand that by creating that clarity that you just pointed out, a lot of brands don't have that what you're helping to do is drive focus and focus is part of strategy. So um, the more people understand that, that what you're actually really doing is trying to delineate uh, choices. What, who, who you are should connect to what you will and will not do, what you will and will not be. And that's the definition of strategy is choices, right? So that's, I mean, this sometimes gets lost in translation when people talk about brand or brand moments is that they're, they're all, if they're done well, they're all tied not only to purpose, which is important and larger corporate responsibility, but they are very, very tied to your business objectives. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I don't know why it gets lost. I mean, I'm a marketer, so maybe it's harder for me to see why it doesn't or it does get lost. But I guess like in all of this, and you coming into new organization or other organizations that you influence, I'm just curious, how much time do you actually spend on the internal culture, the internal brand? Because it seems like if you get that right, then you start marching the right way externally. What do you mean by the internal brand? Just with your with your people, your employees, just the clarity. It, because there has to be a consistent understanding of what the brand means, like you were saying. So I'm just wondering if there's things that you do to really educate, influence, inspire the team internally and, and continue to build this culture. I think you've been building on this for a while, but just curious if there's anything specifically that you focus on when you come into a new brand internally versus externally? I don't really know how to answer that because I don't compartmentalize it. It's just part of, um, it's just part of leadership, part of the assessing of your structure, your talent. And, but, but I think at the root of it is communication. So people want to hear from their leaders. They want to understand they want to know the reasons behind things, not not just the what, but the why. Um, I, I think we also need to feel like we're part of something. So shared sense of purpose, shared sense of, you know, the, the essence of team, right, is, is feeling like united together. So um, I just knew that I, I just, you just know that that's important. And I think what we've discussed is it's been, challenging this year because of of the dynamics of all being virtual but not impossible definitely not impossible um we do internal um like benchmarking of our employees sort of like a equivalent like i guess you'd call it a link employee satisfaction study and i think you know one of my proudest accomplishments is the huge like big big percentage points in growth on employee engagement and marketing, pride, et cetera. I mean, to, to have accomplished that in this year is, um, you know, that's a very meaningful metric to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see a lot of, a lot of uh, or we hear of a lot of brands who are telling the outside world one thing, but it's not authentic to the inside. Mm-hmm. And then you, yeah, lose, you, lose, you lose your team. You lose your, and actually that's where I think where attrition comes from as well, frankly, but I, I do like that you've tied this very simply back to leadership. You know, uh, you know, I think I think we believe that courage breeds courage, and, yeah. and 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 conversely, fear breeds fear. Yeah, right. It's a choice. It's a choose your own adventure uh, on which way you go. And what's been nice is, you know, over the course of the last forty five minutes, everything that you've shared have just been data points that you're giving your team permission. You're you're mm-hmm. being clear. Right, but you're giving them permission to dream bigger in the business of home, um, and you have this track record now uh, of doing that in other places you've been at. Not that you're resting laurels anywhere, but th- I mean, does that bring you joy? That it gives you permission to like when you see an opportunity, like you mentioned with uh, um, you know with the, with uh, the New York fashion show. That at first people inside were like, "What are we doing?" Is that how you actually know you have a good, you're like, this is the one we're going to follow. This is it. 
No, um, not really, because I'm not trying to provoke people uh, internally, certainly. Um, what would make life easier and, you know, less stressful is just having people be like, oh my gosh, great. Every single time you have a big, exciting idea. And of course, in your head, that's exactly how it plays out. And, and you're so excited and you so get it that you don't can't imagine that everyone else won't feel the same way until they don't feel the same way. And sometimes when people react that way, it's really hard to stop and say, what in these concerns do, should I deeply consider? How might I re rethink? Um, what might I adjust? I mean, that takes takes humility <laughs> to do that. And um, and when are the what are the things worth fighting for? So, I, I said before. So um, the last thing I'm looking to do is just to be seen as someone who's just you know throwing bombs on the existing way thing because it's disrespectful and it doesn't really, um, you know, it doesn't acknowledge all the excellence that is around. I mean, I'm amazed by, I'm amazed by what my, you know, fellow executives have gotten done already in their respective areas. And, and I think what this is about is now taking my function and saying, let me be as excellent in this function as you've been in yours. And let's just make that magic together. Um, you know, ultimately as marketers, we're only as good as, as the guts of what we're marketing. So if you make a promise to a consumer that, you know, operationally you can't deliver, it's, it's a problem. So I feel actually quite grateful that a lot of work has been done on retail fundamentals over the past years, um, two years since, and then I was kind of the last of this new executive team to join. So, um, so I think just doing your best to let people feel that from you, feel the respect, and then, you know, you hope you get it in, in turn, but sometimes it's, some people are easier to earn it from, and some people are harder, and it's just all part of, part of the, of the marathon. <laughs> I know we're coming to a close here, but I, we got to go a little deeper on the bell just for one second. Uh, you know, you, you turn the California Oasis of Palm Springs into the bell. People go bananas. Bell uh, Hotel. The Bell Hotel. And what, again, from a business standpoint, you know, because it is a courageous idea, but let's, let's keep tying it back to the, why do you feel like it made business sense at the time? Yeah. And then what have you learned from that experience that you brought forward into this job? Well, I think there are a bunch of things to point out about that. First of all, that was not a year one move. Um, so there were a lot of building blocks that led to that. Uh, first, really figuring out what the right positioning for the Taco Bell brand was, just starting to really understand it as a brand that was a real social experience. So Again, like getting really rooted in who you are, what you want to be, recognizing that this brand did have real cult-like status, but also some real negatives, um, sort of, you know, some, some negative stigmatization that needed to be overcome. And, and also that's part of being in fast food in general. Um, and so the idea of sort of separating and elevating Taco Bell from the rest of the sort of burger and fry fast food pack uh, became um, many ways an opportunity in many ways, I think a necessity, but again, that's very different than marketing the food itself. Right. This goes back to a lot of what we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And the other part is how do you, 
for me, it was about starting to make the brand feel like a social experience and the positioning and find ways to create sort of manifest what the biggest fans of the brand felt for the brand that you wouldn't necessarily experience if we're being real going to an average Taco Bell location, which might not have been renovated, which might not have been, you know, as inspiring in the real world as we wanted the brand to be. And so there were some things we started to do, like when we launched with a franchisee, um, what has become the flagship location for the brand on the Las Vegas Strip. And we knew this was going to be really, you know, a really special location. And thinking about things that kind of went with Vegas and the idea of like, you know, like the shotgun weddings, but like Taco Bell weddings. But even that, that was rooted in a social insight that bride, there are some brides and grooms who love the brand so much that, the, that you can find photos of them posing outside of Taco Bells or inside of Taco Bells in wedding gowns and tuxedos and Taco Bell. And so again, it's sort of finding some, some connection to truth that makes made it permissible, even if it was a little bit fantastical and also brand voice. This is a brand that wasn't, couldn't be in time. It was serious about food, but not totally too serious about itself. And so when building that little bit of track record and seeing the response and getting people just see the brand as really leading culture, not just sort of, you know, riding its coattails, the natural, in some ways, it became the natural for me, kind of final big apotheosis was to say, if you could bring the whole experience of the brand together in a destination, what would it be? And I would say that lots of people think they came up with the Taco Bell hotel idea, which is funny. We talked about where ideas came from and I think several people did birth this idea in different ways. But um, the thing I'm proudest of is that um, it was a completely legitimate experience. It was not satire um, and it was definitely a risk, but uh, to me, a risk that really paid off and, you know, I. I hope the brand will continue doing some of those things. Feels it feels a little different now looking at it. Maybe some of that, of course, is is you know this COVID period that we're in. But um, I mean, that was really, really a crowning moment um, because because I can look back and see how the, all the different steps led to something that was so so. I mean, such a such a culture busting moment in terms of getting people excited. Well, you've set the bar high for year two at Lowe's and, and beyond, you. I guess. Wish me <laughs> Bef- luck. My God. <laughs> Be- before we close, and I just have one more question on, on how do you balance, you know, professional and personal life and you have this executive moms organization and maybe you can just talk to us a little bit about that. I think that's so important. Um, I have young children and it's hard, you know, and, and, uh, and I have a lot of respect for my wife and, and what she does. She's a nurse. So it's just uh, something that I think is so important to draw awareness to. And, you know, America has this never enough, you know, always on mentality of business and just curious how you're balancing it and what executive moms means as part of that balance. Well, you're asking a long question at the end, so I'll try to be succinct. Um, I founded Executive Moms um, like 18 years ago, which is shocking. And when you think about how different, um, you know, media was then, this was pre, so it was a social media idea born pre-social media because it really was about content and community and born out of how most ideas are out of just a really 
uh, personal insight that was a lot broader than than my own, which was like the need as a working mom to to not feel alone and to feel the sense of just lifting my step by being connected to other people with that shared experience and maybe some content that would help me along the way, not necessarily something really prescriptive and didactic telling me how to do my life better. Um, and that insight was really powerful. And um, so I ran Executive Moms somehow on top of having a full-time corporate career and being a mom, I ran this sort of largely single-handedly for many, many years. And in the past few years, it's allowed it to be a little bit more dormant, but still my Twitter handle, the website's there. I'm still, we did so much custom research and learned so much that it's still a very important personal platform to me. Um, one of the things that I would speak about quite passionately then is not to use the word balance. Um, I'm not wagging my finger at you. I'm just saying that we set ourselves up for just total disappointment when we think about our lives being in balance because no one, no one really that I know lives that way. It's not about mm -hmm. this sort of, you know, I picture someone Zen sitting on the mountain. It's just not like that. I think it is about trying to figure out more of a daily calculus of decision-making and feeling like you recognize that sometimes work's going to pull harder and sometimes family's going to pull harder and sometimes extended family or other responsibilities or desires are going to pull. And, you know, you have to be able to pull back enough to say, you know, over time, am I doing well by, by all, um, not in the micro moments of, you know, it's, it's not about that. Um, that's really, I think how you have to manage it and judge it. I do think, and I know we're out of time. I do think this whole situation that we're in is also challenging and changing some of, you know, the definitions of work and family and life because of this complete merging of being home. So at the end of the day, I think, um, the best we can do is be compassionate to one another as employers. And, you know, I really do believe this, the best people find a way to rise through and, you know, and other people sometimes need a little bit more help. But um, so long as we allow ourselves to kind of support one another through this and still ask the best of one another, um, that, that's the best way we're going to figure this out because we're all on very uncharted land right now. Marissa, I can't thank you enough. It's clear you've, you're this, you are yin and yang and you could, you could feel the, the, the tug of creativity and, and business or, or I love how you talked about the clarity of choice. Sometimes yeah. it's about the foundational choice or the dance with courage. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Wishing you guys a great 2021 and everyone a healthy one. And uh, stay on that podium. Good luck, right? No high bar or anything. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Take care. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment. If you like what you just heard, sign up for your weekly dose of courage at returnoncourage.com.